0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. And God, we right now posture ourselves to be fixated upon you. God, to gaze out with unwavering attention and focus, to build a life of depth, that then in turn produces these routines and disciplines that understands healthy sacrifice and then walks sustainably with you, God. I pray that this sanctuary would be a place of depth, a place of discipline, a place of sacrifice in you today. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. 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 So January's a fun month for me to teach. I feel like every year in January, we all kind of go through this um, time in which we are in which we're kind of assessing our life and setting uh, New Year's resolutions or New Year, what we kind of want to do this year. And I feel like for all of us in faith, hopefully it's a time of self-reflection and self-awareness of where we are and what, what we're kind of going to do to get where we want to be. Um, and so I want to encourage you, if you haven't, the last few weeks, I thought they were decent, uh, but if you want to listen to them, you can. Um, on the podcast, but I wanted to, today, I've had this teaching for a while and I'm really excited to teach on it because uh, the Bible to me is something, the more that you ingrain yourself in it and root yourself in it, the more you find stories that speak to you in ways that you would have never imagined and today is an example of that. And So I'm titling today's teaching, The Test of Your Limits, The Test of Your Limits. Now, the reason this this kind of came about is essentially, many of us have felt this, the tension at times, and the tension is this, when we say, alright God, I want you to enter my heart, I want you to lead my life, I want you to direct my steps, it says that his spirit comes in and part of the covenant was that he would write his law on our heart. So that we would have this discernment on the inside of ourselves that leads us in righteousness and understanding what right and wrong is or sin and righteousness. Now, here's where, here's where it gets interesting, though, is what we automatically think sometimes. I'm going to listen to Christian music once a week, and I'm going to get sprinkled of Jesus on my phone, and then, man, I'm angelic. But obviously, we've all, over time, found out that that is not the case. What happens? The Spirit comes in. But it enters into what we as believers call the flesh. Now, what is the flesh? The flesh, the fallen nature, the flesh is who we are as humans in this world. And each one of us, our flesh is struggling in different ways, whatever that is. But all of us have a fallenness to our humanity, so the question then becomes, okay, how much are we pursuing the spirit and how much are we living in the flesh? Or today, essentially the logic is how often do we test the limits? And by testing the limits, I believe a lot of where God has found is when we push past the limits of what our flesh tells us we should do or can do, and we enter. I was reading a book this week, and in the book, uh, there was an old Indian uh, story. And it was the story of a boy who was given a drum, a really nice drum that was handmade and carved and colored. It was a really exquisite friend. came up to him and said, hey, can I play your drum? And the little boy snarled at his friend and said, absolutely, no, you cannot play my drum. Not only can you not play my drum, but please never touch it. It's my drum. And his friend runs away crying. The Indian boy then looks and, a little bit reflective, wonders why did he respond in such a way that his friend would be so distraught by his response. Going to his wise old grandfather, he goes and sits. Says grandfather, "Can I talk to you?" And the grandfather says, "Yes, son." And he proceeds to tell him this story. And the story is a, he he proceeds to tell him, and the and the grandfather looks at him, and he goes, "Why did?" The son says, "Why did I respond this way?" And The grandfather proceeds to say, you have two wolves inside of you, my son. They're generous, joyful, and peaceful. These two wolves fight inside for control. The boy then interjecting quickly said, who will win the fight in the end, grandfather? The grandfather looks at him, pauses, and says slowly, the wolf Choose. I think for a lot of us, I tell that story because for some of us, we don't realize that the reason that we feel like our flesh is winning or our spirit is winning is just coming down to what you've fed, what you've allowed, what you've said, okay, it's, it's fine, it's whatever. It's, and for some of us, I would even say this, all we've ever known is feeding the wolf of the flesh. Whatever we feel like, whatever we want, whatever we, uh, whatever we just release. Oh, we're tempted, I'll just let it, you know, wolf to start to devour the spiritual side. And I challenge you today, testing the limits is us choosing today what we will choose to feed. And for some of us today, I hope that that, that feeding is, okay, God, I'm going to figure out how I feed the spirit. So with that, let's jump into the story. We are going to be focusing on Genesis 24 today. Genesis, it is funny because I think on the surface, it's like, what, what is going on here? Now, I'm going to give you a ton of biblical uh, context, backstory in as short amount as possible. And I'm going to leave out details, but it's fine. You're going to get the gist. So Genesis 1, and really the early parts of Genesis, what we see is we see Adam is born. And when Adam is is, is created by God, what happens is is he's created for covenant with with God in heaven. And by created with covenant, he's essentially saying, listen, you guard, tend, and keep the garden, and walk with me, and we'll ultimately be in relationship. Now, here's the thing. From the very beginning of man, we've always had the issue of free will. Free will is the choice of, okay, will we do what we're supposed to do or what we've entered into covenant to do or will we do just kind of whatever we feel like? Now we know the story of Adam. Ultimately the covenant was predicated on him choosing not to do them. An example of covenant is this, I'm married to my wife, she has free will to choose me, and because of that free will, there's a richness in our relationship, because she wasn't controlled, she wasn't manipulated, she wasn't made to do something, she ultimately chose me, and that is the strength of the bond. And for a lot of us, that's what we don't realize in the free will of God. The strength of the bond is how much we choose God and are willing to fashion our lives around that choice. And then there's a bunch of chapters of, of man stumbling along trying to find its way into the covenant it was created for. But ultimately, it could never choose to live. So we see all throughout the kind of beginning portions... Of Genesis is, is man trying to kind of reach back to God, and there's different examples of righteous men. Noah's one of them. But then, all of a sudden, God kind of comes up with this new plan of, here's the deal, I guess all of creation will not be able to enter into covenant as Adam, a new covenant with a chosen righteous man who ultimately, from his lineage, will produce a nation of people marked for relationship with me, and that man will be Abraham, the foundation of our faith. Now Abraham is the foundation of the nation of Israel and ultimately is this placeholder for what Jesus would do as this nation is born and this people comes up. Ultimately the free will issue comes back around where they obey, disobey, obey, disobey, obey, disobey until Jesus would usher in a time when it is no longer one nation and one people. It is all people and the choice will be free will once again. But in this context, early we see the the foundation of the nation of Israel is this man by the name of Abraham. Now, Abraham is a righteous and devout man, a follower of God, but here's the issue, he doesn't have any children. So an angel says, listen, we're going to multiply you, make you as much as the stars in the sky, but ultimately, I don't, he doesn't have any children. So what happens? He takes matters into his covenant as it wasn't what God had, had chosen at first, named Ishmael, and then finally he has this son from the union that God had decided was gonna be this lineage of a nation of chosen people that would live in relationship and covenant with him. And this son is the name Isaac. Now, here's where we're going to get into the story. In Genesis 24, what we see is looking and saying, I have one son, and that son is unmarried. Now, for many of us, we would be like, okay, we'll go out and find a girl. But back then, it's way different, because what's happening is all the people have kind of created their own idols. They've kind of worshipped their own gods. And so, Abraham, the weight is on him, in which he's looking and saying, God has promised me. And nation as numerous as stars in the sky. He has promised to bless my lineage. He has promised to bring something from me. shares our beliefs, shares our character, and shares our heart. And so what happens is, is he's looking out, and if you didn't know this, Abraham in that day and time would have been one of, if not the wealthiest men on the face of the planet. So Isaac... His son, the inheritor of all of that, the inheritor of the covenant, is looking for a wife. A wife that honors and serves God. A wife that has the character attributes of what God is extremely rare. So, what does Isaac do? He, him and his dad, his dad comes and he takes, gives, we're going to read it here in Genesis 24. He calls a servant and he says, I'm going to commission you to go back to the land that we left and to find followers. Of, this, of the God that we serve, that are not following idols, that aren't doing all the wrong things, and I trust that you will bring somebody back to me who is worthy of my son. So what do we have? The first biblical count of The Bachelor. <sighs> now, I'm not gonna lie either, right? When we get into this story, it, it is funny if you like think about it. It's like if we did like a Christian Bachelor, it's like 20 girls show up, and there's the, one of the richest men on the face of the planet who loves Jesus. And we're going to get into this story. It's like, okay, what do we want with water? Feed and straw them. That's what this story is about. So that's, this is kind of what I'm setting the table of, is this story is interesting, but, the, but what's going on behind the scenes is actually pretty incredible. And what you find is that if you test the limits of what normal people would do, You might find yourself in a grace zone with God of not just blessing, but more than you could have ever imagined. Genesis 24, let's read. It says this, then the servant is all to remember this. This is Abraham's servant that he is sending out to find the wife for Isaac that would ultimately, hopefully produce the lineage that has been promised. It says this, then the servant took 10 camels. From the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. For some of you guys who don't know, this would be modern day Turkey. Then it says this, verse 11. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the go out to draw water. What does this mean? This is a ritualistic behavior in that social sphere in which women at the end of the day would go out to fetch water for their families. I'm saying that because we're going to talk about it later. It says this, verse 12, he said, "'O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, "'please grant me success today "'and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. "'Behold, I am standing by the spring, "'and the daughters of the men of the city "'are coming out to draw water. "'Verse 14, now may it be to the girl to whom I say, "'Please let down your jars so that I may drink, "'and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. "'May she be the one whom you have appointed "'for your servant Isaac.'" And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born Bethuel, the son of Milki, the, son, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was beautiful, a virgin, and no one had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled, and says she descended into the spring, implying that there was a stairwell that you would have to go into the ground to grab water. Another important point we'll talk about later. It says this, Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She then said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Am I the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again she said to him, We have plenty of bulls, straw in feed, and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said blessed be the Lord the God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master as for me the Lord has guided me on the way to the house of my master's brother so what happens the 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 and guess what The lineage is preserved. Not only is it preserved, we find out that Rebecca, as a descendant of him, has followed the covenant as well. And so they're blessed and have children, and it's, you know, great. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is the character attributes before she ever had anything. And I think this is important for all of us to sit back and understand, because I think for a lot of us, we pray and cry out for the blessing of God, But do we have the character necessary to handle a blessing if it were to walk right up to us and give it to us? See, what I'm essentially getting at is this. I think for a lot of us, we don't understand the gravity of what Rebecca just did. So I did a little research for you. You know how much... A typical adult camel. On the high end, on average, it's 30 to 50 gallons. Now, where did we start in the story? We started with they had been going all day, went to the well at the end of the day that the new- they knew the woman would be at. We know that they have 10 camels, and we know that they're in Turkey, which is modern-day Middle East. So we can just rationally not have to step too far and say it's probably pretty hot. The camels are probably pretty thirsty. So even if they're not thirsty, just 30 gallons apiece, what is that? 300 gallons! 300 gallons. What if they're really thirsty? 500? Now, in our basic unit of metric measurement when it comes to gallons, okay, I would say this. There's a five-gallon bucket that all of us have probably carried at some point that if you fill a five-gallon bucket the entire way, you are like, this is heavy. This is heavy. Uh, not five gallons, but two or three-gallon buckets. Okay, that would that she has to descend and carry up and downstairs to feed the camels. Now, it's one thing for her to look at a thirsty man and say, oh, take some water. It's another thing entirely to say, do you need 500 gallons as well? I, this is what I mean about testing the limits, okay? Because for a lot of us, we're willing to give somebody water if they need it. You know what I think is funny? This is kind of a tongue-in-cheek, but it's like, so Isaac, how did you and your wife meet? Oh, she, she watered, you know, 10 camels, 500 gallons. Thought she was good stock. You know? <laughs> like, she's it's like, really? That's how you met her? Like, you're the wealthiest man on the face of the planet. Yeah, I know. Uh, she, she was really good at watering camels. <laughs> But not only does she water the camels, which I think is important, but let's just break it down for a second. Okay, if she has to walk down into a well, if she can do four gallons at a time, okay, four gallons at a time, and let's just say it's 300 gallons, or let's just say 200 gallons, okay? Which, even that for, for 10, that's only 20, 20 gallons per, and we know that it's 30 to 50 is what it takes to fill them up. Okay, so quick math here. We're sitting here and we're saying, okay, 200 gallons for, that's 50 trips. Okay. But what if it was 400 gallons, which isn't even reasonably safe? She's probably taking anywhere from 80 to 120 trips down into the well to get water, bring it back, fill the trough, and do it again. How many hours do you think that would take? 80 trips? 100 trips? 120 trips? Just carrying water for some random strangers. Once again, what's going on in this picture This isn't about, if you notice, Rebecca hasn't said anything. They haven't interviewed her. got a guy who really loves God. Why don't you give us your 10 most uh, desirable attributes? It's like, let's build up your little eHarmony profile here. What does it start with? Will you give me a drink? I won't just give you a drink. Let me water your camels also. And then there's a next step. Oh, I'm not just going to water your camels. If you want, I'll feed them and you can stay the night at my house. What it limits here. This is like, this is a lot for somebody to do for a random stranger that they just met beside a random well and just hoping, like, just, oh, I'm just out doing water to begin with. Might as well just burn some more calories, right, Bob? My mom loves walking. That's why it's a joke because every day she's like, we going to go out and shake her loose? <laughs> Like, no, the playoffs are on. I will not be shaking it loose. (laughs) But what am I getting at right now? Did she know? Did she know that her willingness to do this tedious task would result in her marrying one of the richest men on the face of the planet? Did she know that her willingness to do this task would be a direct, she would become a direct descendant of Jesus through Abraham's family line and write her name into the Bible forever? She had no idea. But isn't that the heart God wants? I don't have to do something in belief and hope that you're giving me something in return. This is who I am. This is what I do. These, I, what I do what more is required of me, trusting that as I live this heart posture of faithful obedience and servanthood to God, that there is something. And I don't know what it is, but there's something for me. I would even venture to say this. Some of us, we're sitting in this room and we're saying, God, I'll do it, but this is what I'm expecting. And what we don't realize is we're limiting ourselves then. What I have found out about my life is this, if I name it, I don't actually want that. All to do is just say, God, I'll stay faithful, I'll stay obedient, I'll stay serving. And I don't know what's going to come, but I know from this story, there's something coming. I know from this story, if there's gallons of water, if there's trash outside, if there's toilets that need clean, whatever it is, if there's a neighbor who needs water, I'm doing it not because, man, God, I really hope I get an extra $7 on a scratch-off. I mean, for some of us, we're so small-minded in like, okay, what's the trick? Decided not to do it that day. And then at the end of her life, people looked and said, hey, remember those guys at the well? If you'd have fed those camels and watered those camels, if you'd have given them a little water, could you imagine? And she had the character that rooted her into a story that her work ethic and her willingness brought her a seat at. So with that today, I want to give us three tests that will determine if you live limited or limitless in Christ. Three tests that will determine if you live limited or limitless in Christ. Now, here's what I want to say about limitless. A lot of the times in our faith, what we believe limitless is, is this exterior Um, maturity in which we're totally aware of like we have like a huge following and our brand is big and our image is awesome and, and we're super rich and it's like, oh man, that's limitless. But limitless to me is not as much a measure of an external, it's a posture of an interior in which I live is limitless in what he will ask, what he will say, where he may lead and whatever my life may look like because I'm submitted to him. But a limited life is when we're questioning, God, why haven't you led me? Why haven't you directed me? Why can't I feel you? All of these things, and a lot of it is not him, it's us. It's us. So with that, three tests that will determine if you live limited or limitless in Christ. The first one, the test of entitlement. The test of entitlement. When we live a life that says nothing or no one is beneath us, we truly show who is above us. Now, what's interesting to this, along this line, is this. Do you think Rebecca wanted a husband? Yes. How do you think Rebecca thought she would be the husband? Not by... I can't tell you how many people it I'm sorry, just pastor ran here, drives me nuts. Where we have in our mind how exactly God is going to do something. And what we don't realize is that's an entitled pride that just is trying to dictate an outcome. And God is going to weed that out before you ever see fruit. It's so sad to me where it's like, okay, God, like, this is what I'm going to get. This is what I'm searching for. And we don't read stories like this where this woman overnight becomes one of the everything. Why? Because she watered some camels. What does an entitled viewpoint mean? Oh, that's beneath me. Oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, you know, I'm not going to get anything back. Then that's not really something I could really do right now. Entitlement is when our neighbors have to earn the right for us to serve them. Entitlement is when our opinions are more important than our love for this world. We live in a culture that celebrates entitlement. We live in a culture that, that idolizes entitlement. We live in a culture that says, oh, you want to live entitled. Why? Because entitlement and independence almost run simultaneously, especially when we, produ- when we literally profess a faith of dependence. You know what faith is? Substance of things we hope for, the evidence of things we can't see. Okay, I'm hoping for something that I can't see, Independence, And I want to dictate the outcome, but I'm hoping for something I can't see and it's out there, but I want certainty. I want to dictate the outcome. I want to make sure it's in my control. What is that? It's just entitlement. You know, for a lot of us in here, I believe God has this Isaac level blessing, but do we have a Rebecca level heart? And see, as we sit in this place today, it is so easy for us to say, it's so easy I want blessing, but do you have a heart of a Rebecca? A heart that says, I'll pick up the bucket. A heart that says, yeah, I got room in my house. That's the heart that he wants. Three tests that will determine if you live limited or limitless. The second, a test of hospitality. I've, I need to talk about this because it's so important today. You know, in the early um, Christian culture of expansion, and when you look at Acts, right, is the role of the, of the family unit and the home. And what you actually see is it was such a cold, kind of closed-off world, and Christians, they would just open their homes and open their tables. And the expansion of the gospel was not, okay, man, let's hit our mission trips, hit our numbers, get after it. It was, let me open my home, let me open my table. Let me open my home, let me open my table. I will create intentional space for you to be present with me. See, a lot of us, we've lost this fine art of what it means to be hospitable. You know what's interesting when you start breaking down hospitality? The synonyms in the dictionary. Welcoming, kind, generous, friendly, social, neighborly, heartwarming. Can people describe you that way? Do they describe you as social, welcoming, kind, generous, friendly, neighborly, or heartwarming? Do they describe you like that? Because ultimately, Rebecca not only took care of the need of the camel and the need of the water, but also said, you got a seat at my table. you got a place to stay. I think for a lot of us, what we don't realize is we don't create intentional space for people unless they share our beliefs, our aesthetic, our brand, our image, our our voting background, our socioeconomic class, our skin color. We don't create space. And then we wonder, man, God, why why can't I feel you? Why can't I sense you? Why are you and it's like, you know what, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna breathe around and bring a part of people who aren't kind, who aren't generous ...who aren't opening their homes and opening things... ...she didn't even know these guys were in need. If you notice, right, she, she does their camels... ...and then guess what they give her? Gold shekels. I can't tell you how many times I've created space for people... ...and just been hospitable, and guess what? I'll never forget my first uh, six months living here. I was golfing at Papago. I get partnered with a guy we know, maybe six people in the city. He's from Canada. We're talking... What do you do? We play golf the entire time. The last hole, what do you do? What are you doing here? Okay, I'm planting a church. Do a $500 check for your church. Do you think I was playing golf thinking the whole time, man, I can't wait to get some money from this guy. (laughs) See, a lot of us, we don't even realize there is blessing for the hospitable. There is blessing for the heartwarming. There is blessing for the social. There is blessing for the one who will open a table and say, guess what? I got you a seat. Am I only hospitable to those who think like me or similar to me, are easy for me to be around, or in my similar life season? That's not hospitable. That's just clicky. The last thing is this. The test of boredom. The test of boredom. How many times do you think Rachel had watered camels before that day? How many times do you think Rachel had been to that spring to get water before that day? How many times do you think? I can tell you this, it wasn't her first time there. And not only was it not her first time there, but activity. I'm going to say that again because some people don't understand. Her most famous blessing in her life that she's remembered for probably came from her most boring activity. She didn't even realize that that boring activity would produce a blessing in which she would never have to do that boring activity again because her heart posture dictated a graduation. We don't want to have seasons of boring. We want a graduation, but we don't want mundane tasks, routine lifestyle. We don't want discipline over and over and compound interest that is paid out from that. Boring is, man, church is not just a choice. It's a covenant commitment for me. Boring is you know it 's loving my neighbor is not just a choice it 's a covenant commitment for me. Boring is listen i 'm sorry, but reading my Bible is a covenant commitment to me. Worshiping the Father is a covenant a lot of the times we call boring and really it 's just because we like to wander and we celebrate wandering well it 's just my expression to just kind of figure it out. I just hope i 'll get there and i 'll just you wonder know, you know I just feel like god 's calling me over there. no, you just don 't want to be rooted and if you And what I'm trying to say is this. For a lot of us, we we talked about this last week. We talked about the condition of the soil. Because for some of fruit, and root and soil dictate fruit. And you you don't get deep roots if all you do is take away and plant it in every soil that you can find. And what I'm trying to tell you in closing is this. is boring is when we pick a soil and we just develop depth week after week, month after month, year after year. And what's sad to me is this, is when we consistently rip ourselves out of soil and then try to plant it and wonder why our fruit doesn't taste great. Soil, root, and then release the rest. I challenge you, man, if you focus on soil and you focus on roots, don't even worry about the fruit. Because so few people do that today, where they just pick soil and they pursue the root, and then they just trust God with everything else. I'm going to tell you this. What do you think Rebecca's story is? I got a bucket, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. See, some of us, we're mad that we got a bucket, mad that we got a well, and we're not realizing there's a blessing with that thing. There's a blessing in that boring. Today, would we be people who understand that this, this, these tests will actually determine how limited or limitless we live These tests will determine how limited or limitless we live. If we want to live entitled, we're going to live limited. Being kind, not really inviting people into our life, we'll live limited. If we don't want to do the boring, if we don't want to do the routine, if we don't want to do the rhythmic, we'll live limited. God has more for you, though. And I pray that as you leave today, as we worship one final time today, that you lean into these tests and trust That if you water those camels, and if you feed the right wolf, there's a life of fulfillment. you just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're just going to make space to process for a second before we worship. We're just going to make space to process here. As we're worshiping, like I said, with this one final moment this morning, I want to challenge you today around which one of those three you feel a little spoken, or if it's all three. And maybe it's a time as we worship of repentance and saying, God, I'm sorry that I've lived entitled. I'm sorry if I haven't been the most hospitable. I'm sorry if I haven't signed up for the routine, rhythmic, and sometimes boring. Or maybe it's some of us saying, God, would you challenge me to go deeper in these things? Challenge me to be a person who lives these things out so that I could have a Rebecca-type character and receive an Isaac-type blessing. As we worship in one final song this morning, that we would be a Rebecca-type character. That if somebody shows up and needs water, guess what? We got a bucket. If there's some camels that need water, guess what? We got 50 trips lined up and we're hitting the stairs. If somebody needs a place to stay, that we've got a door that can be open. We've got a table you can sit at. God, I thank you that we would not just be people who read these stories and wonder why we don't live within the realities that those people live. Their reality can be our reality. It just comes down to if our heart disposition will be their heart disposition. Lord, we thank you that stories written thousands and thousands of years ago still have meaning, still have merit, still have purpose, still have calling. Would you form us, our lives, in your hands? Put us on your potter's wheel, for we trust the potter's work.